Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. The Bible says this. I'm reading from the King James or the authorized version, following in any, in any version that you have. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Solemn words. Solemn words. First question. Which group is this scripture Jesus describing in these passages? The unbeliever or the professed believer? Which group? The professed believer. Now here we can see the idea of the question of who am I? Here we have a group of people believing that they are something when in reality they are not. So did they come to the right conclusion to the question of who am I? Did they come to the right answer? No, they didn't. Because if they had come to the answer, they would have realized they were on the wrong track all along. Because when it was said and done in the day of judgment, this is a, a kind of a, an imagery of what the judgment would look like, not exactly in detail, but it's given us a lesson. They were shocked and surprised. How do we know they were shocked and surprised? Because their question implies a decision that was made. Lord, have we not, what? Prophesied in thy name. Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not? The question implies, I don't agree with the decision you just made. Are we following? Lord, didn't we do? So what prompted this question? Didn't I preach? Didn't I preach in your name? Didn't I cast out devils in your name? What prompted that question? By implication, a decision has been made which they don't agree with. And they're appealing to their good works to say, Ah, I think you're wrong here, man. Hey, yo, God, yo, yo, Jesus, yo, yo, you need to, you, you need to, like, whatever you need to do, you, you need to recalculate things. Do we see the idea in the verse? Who am I? Did they come to the right conclusion of that answer? No, they didn't. For their entire Christian walk, for their entire profession, they thought, they thought they were on Jesus' side. But they were deceived. The greatest delusion to take the human mind is self-deception done in the name of God. They professed to believe. Why did I choose these scriptures? Because for any of you, some of you, this is not going to apply to you. But for every single one of you, if I was to ask the question, are you a Christian? You put your hand up, then these verses are speaking to you. This is for you. These verses are speaking to you. you. There may be some youth in here who don't count themselves Christian. You ain't made that decision yet. But the reason why I'm focusing particularly on my youth, on my brothers and sisters who claim to believe in Jesus, because there's a great responsibility on you when you take on that name, which you have not understood yet. And if you did, you'd make certain decisions to change your life to change certain things, to, 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 to make sure that that name that I say I'm holding, my life is a reflection of what I say I am. Let me give you a simple illustration that you're going to get. 
I used to, well, I still love basketball. I don't play it no more, but the passion is still there. Does that make sense? Let me tell you how much I loved this game. And I'm giving you an illustration on taking on a name, being genuine, being real. Every single day, except for Sabbath, because I grew up going to church on Sabbath, I wore my basketball shorts underneath my tracksuit bars. Every single day. It was like I was putting on boxes. So I put on my boxes, then my basketball shorts, then my tracksuit bars. And I bought the ones that you could zip up and pull off like that. Because I had to always be ready. You can't look cool taking... Have you ever tried to take off your... No, you don't know what I'm talking about. Have you ever tried to take off your tracksuit bottoms and you want to be quick? That don't look cool. You have to take off your shoes, take off your socks, and you might put on a mismatched sock. That don't look good. So you have to be... Now that looks cool. Ready. My Jordan shorts, my Jordan socks, my Jordan trainers, my Nike headband. I was ready all the time. I exaggerate not. I had my ball in class and I'd be bouncing the ball in class. I'd be palming it, what you call palming it, strengthening the fingers so that you could do a move and stop and palm the ball just like that. Every single day I'd be training left, training the right. I would go and play basketball in rain, sleet and snow. I'd wear fingerless gloves. Mom would say, where are you going? I'm going to practice. Midnight I'll be practicing by myself. A hundred shots and then I'll go home. Did I love the game? Was I a baller? That made me recognize who was real and who wasn't. I was speaking to a young man the other day, I won't say his name. And he says, yeah, Mike, I love basketball. I said, really? One question exposed him like that. How often do you practice? He said, well, I don't get much time anymore because I'm doing my GCSEs. I says, you don't love basketball. He was offended. He was offended. Like literally offended. What do you mean? What do you mean I ain't real? I said, you ain't real. I says, you ain't got time. I says, those of you who love something, you don't need to find time. It is your time. Now, some of you don't even have something like that that you're passionate about. And if you don't, then I don't know how to illustrate what love really is. But when you love something, it's the first thing that you think of in the morning. It's the last thing that you think of at night. And you're thinking about it during the day. It never leaves you. Now, that's what I've been for spiritual things. I'm just talking about fact. This is a fact, not an opinion. Anyone who says they're really passionate about something, you see oozing out of them. They're talking about it all the time. Their friends are sick and tired of them talking about it all the time. Oh, man, why are you talking about becoming a famous singer for? Because that's what their passion is. Are we getting the point? Now, how does this fit with what we've just said in Matthew chapter 7? Here in Matthew chapter 7, we have a statement from the Saviour. Jesus Christ who says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those words rock me to the core. That text says, Michael, pay close attention because you can find yourself in that group. Why? Because I profess every day when I wake up in the morning, every day I say, Lord, Lord. I was doing worship with my children. I was doing Romans chapter 7. And I was giving an illustration to them and I said, children, you've got to feel your need for God. You've got to feel your need. And obviously they're looking at me like, what on earth does that mean? So I had to try and make it very simple for them. 
And in giving their analogy, Isabel asked me a question. She says, Daddy, do you think about it every single day? Do you think about Jesus and your need every single day? She put me on the spot. I honestly could reply to her and say, Isabel, I do. I feel my need. I'm not talking about doing what's right. I'm not talking about doing what's wrong. I'm talking about something very specific. I feel my need. Lord, Lord. Now everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Who am I? Ask yourself that question. How do you qualify yourself as a Christian today? Is it because you attend church on Sabbath? That just so happens to be the right day of the week. Is it because you have grown up going to church and believing it just so happens the truths in the Bible? Is it that it just so happens you are in the right place at the right time, believing the right things? Is it a just so happens or is it an experience, young people? Let me give you a simple again way of, of distinguishing or what helped me. When I think back to growing up in church, when my friends at school said, Michael, do you want to come to the club on the weekend, on Saturday? My response was this, I'm not allowed. You listening? My response was, I'm not allowed. Michael, do you eat pork? I'm not allowed. Michael, why don't you come out on Friday evening? I'm not allowed. When I gave my life to Christ on that day, afterwards when people asked me to do something which wasn't in line with now my true identity, the new identity I now took on, now my response is, I don't want to. Do you know how powerful that is? The power of the will. Do you know how freedom that is? To make a choice and say, I don't even want to. Some of you want to leave church and you think that's wrong. You think the expression or the feelings is wrong. You think, oh, this desire I have to want to leave is wrong. I'm here to declare to you, God is looking for you to be honest with him. Before transformation, before there can be genuine conversion, you have to, as Mark said in Sabbath school, face the truth in the face. And the truth is going to tell you where you are. It's going to tell you who you really are. But do you accept its revelation? Do you accept its diagnosis of you? Are you still saying, no, 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 no. I, I like going to church, Lord. Really? Do you really like reading your Bibles? Do you fall asleep in prayer? Can you talk to God more than five minutes? If you can't, this is not bad news. This is good news if, if you are honest with the Lord Jesus Christ. But for you to be honest, for you to come to the place where you can answer the question honestly, who am I? Because the answer might scare the living daylights out of you. The answer might scare the living daylights out of you. Because we are the ones who convince ourselves we are better than what we really are. We are the ones who delude ourselves. Nobody else. We are. We like to think ourselves better than we actually are. And that's normal. That makes sense. Who's going to say to themselves, I'm rubbish today. Man, I'm just, ah. No, no, you would try to encourage that person, wouldn't you? It is normal 
and natural and logical to think that you are better than you actually are. And this is why it's so subtle. It is such a subtle thing to come away from that. And I believe the only way that can happen is God himself speaking to you. So the question I just asked, how are we going to come to that place? To be honest with God, to ask the question of who I really am. How are we going to come to that place? How? Luke 15. This ain't going to be long. We're going to now just focus on Luke 15. You have to have a picture of who God is. A true picture of who God is. You have to. If you don't understand who God truly is, that question is going to scare the living daylights out of you. You're not going to want to answer that question. You're not going to want to come face to face with who you truly are. Now let me say this before we get into this parable. Who are we or who am I? It's not by my likes, my dislikes, my passions, my dreams. It's not about my name and what I want to do for my parents in the future, as you heard in the introduction. It's not about any of those things. What defines who I am is my character. My character. And the reason why it's very hard for any of us, just like me, if I gave you the mic and said, describe yourself, it would sound self-conceited. You don't want to do that. And those who love doing that, well, let me not speak bad about them, but, well, let's just say... That's just them. But most normal people are starting to say, yeah, man, I'm the greatest. I'm this. No, we, 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 we like to, that's just not normal, is it? Well, who are you? Who, how would you describe yourself, Richard, in character? You know? Because what immediately comes to your mind when that question is asked to describe your character? Let's be honest. What comes to your mind? The victories or the failures? Let's be honest, brethren and busy friends. The failures. When someone asks you to describe your character, immediately what comes to your mind is all of your failures. That's why it's very hard to then be confident and say, I am a uh, Christian, am I? No, I, I know I am. And by the end of this parable, hopefully I'm going to make it very simple for you to one, give you the confidence, those of you who take on that name, to say I am a Christian and what it means to be a genuine Christian and it's got nothing to do with, listen carefully, just your performance. That's part of it. And why has it got nothing to do with, why is it not just your performance? Why? Because we read in Matthew 7, there are people who performed very well. They cast out devils in Jesus' name. I know 99% of you who face that situation would run out of that place. And here we have a group of people who prophesied in Jesus' name, cast out devils, preached and did many wonderful works. And in the day of reckoning, Jesus didn't even recognize who they were. I don't know you, not on my side. I don't know you. Be gone, you workers of iniquity. That's why we can't just look at a performance of a set rules to define whether I'm a true Christian or not. But Luke 15 is going to bring out the true essence. What words did I say? The true essence, the vital ingredient. In every recipe, there is a vital ingredient to make that recipe work. Without that vital ingredient, that recipe is not what it's supposed to be. Luke 15. So let's, uh, let's, let's explore this of who God is. Because when we explore who he really is, then we can answer the question with confidence. Luke 15, then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners, 
for to hear him. And for those of you who are visiting, in the context we're reading about Jesus, the publicans and the sinners, they came to hear Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. In other words, they complained, saying, this man receiveth sinners and what? Eateth with them. Let's pause it right now. Young people, I'm going to ask a question. Don't answer it. Just answer it in your mind. How many times have you not prayed, not picked up your Bible, not attended church because you felt that you was a sinner? How many times have you allowed that thought to spend too much time in your mind? Don't put your hand up. Just answer it in your mind. How many times have you allowed that thought to grip you by the scuff of your neck and tuck you down like you're some idiot? Oh, sorry, idiot. How many times have you allowed that thought to grab you by the throat and strangle nearly every ray of hope that was in your heart? How many times? I can't go to God. But this is what I love, and Mark said it in the Sabbath school. The word of God is where we find the solution. One simple text read with sincerity. One simple text for those of you who've come into this church today with a need. I didn't need to preach today for you to feel your need. God does that himself. God isn't the one that's trying to save souls. I don't save nobody. I have a hard time already trying to save myself. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let me say something here before I say the next point. I'm in the school just like you. Some of you don't believe that because you hear a powerful sermon. My sermon is only a revelation of what God has shown me. Not a revelation of where I'm at. It's a revelation of where I want to be and where I'm inspiring to be by the grace of God. I'm only an instrument. Listen to what the Bible is saying and let the Bible speak to your heart. Verse 2 says, Jesus, who was he happy to eat with? Come on, church. Who was he happy to eat with? No, 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 no. Who was he happy to eat with? Sinners. Sinners. Jesus was happy. <laughs> happy. Enthusiastic. So who is the one that puts that image of God in your mind that you can't approach him because you are in your sins? It's not God. It's the devil himself. There is a war going on, a battle for your mind. The Bible likens the sinner's position in so many different uh, object lessons. I'm just going to cite them, but you can read them later on. Blindness. Blindness. There are scriptures that talk about our condition before we accept Jesus as some of you being blind. There are other scriptures that talk about you're actually dead. Why am I bringing out these two examples? Because in your mind, brothers and sisters and visiting friends, young people, I want to get the idea that coming to Christ is not just a simple decision of like, putting my clothes on, taking my clothes off. There is something powerful taking place, which is why God used the analogy of, you know when a man accepts me, he was blind, now he can see. You know when a man or a woman accepts me, they were dead, now they're alive. You know when a, man, a woman or a child accepts me? They were crippled. Now they're healed. The analogy or the thought that's supposed to come to your mind is something miraculous is taking place. 
power is entering into your being. You were blind, now you can see. That means every perspective you had previously changes completely. A blind man doesn't know what red looks like. A blind man doesn't know what yellow looks like. A blind man doesn't know what anything looks like. And now when he sees, it's a whole new experience. Becoming a Christian, young people, is not just, I'm making a decision to go to church today. Rubbish! Because our church is hemorrhaging young people. And who is going to change it? Who feels passionate for God's cause? Hardly none of you. Because you're blind by the world. The world has taken you by storm. You'd rather give your money than Beyonce, then give it to the church. Souls are dying for the truth, and God is counting on you. Why? I have no idea. Humanly speaking. But why is he counting on us? Because he loves us, and he knows what can take place when you take hold of God's grace. He knows what can take place when a young person believes in the love of God towards him. He knows what can take place because he's seen it many a times before. He saw it happen in David. 17 years old, maybe. The whole of the church at the time of David was petrified to take on Goliath. And this young boy, single-handed, by himself, because he believed in God, because he believed who was behind him, because he knew who he was, he could do those marvellous things. So let me ask you the question again. Who are you? Who are you, character-wise? Jesus is asking, who are you? And he gave this parable because there wasn't a right concept of who God was. How do we know that? The leaders of the day were complaining that Jesus was with sinners. God's people had come to a place where when you read inspiration, well, in fact, it's a historical fact. Listen to this. The Jews taught the people there is rejoicing in heaven when God destroys a sinner. That's what they taught. That's what they taught. The Pharisees taught the people when a sin is destroyed by God, heaven rejoices. That's the historical concept, context of what we're reading. God's church had a defaced monster of who God was. And Christ had come to blow away all those ideas. And there were people who were seeing a glimmer of hope. There were people who were seeing who God was. Because how do we know? The text says the sinners. And the publicans drew near to hear Christ. They saw it. They were attracted by it. But some people were not, even though they were in the church. They weren't attracted to Christ. They were vexed that sinners were coming to hear Jesus. Actually upset. Blood boiling. How could this holy man come and speak to vile people like this? You're familiar with the parable, most of you. It's only a few words. What man of you having in a hundred sheep if you lose one of them? Doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he what? Until he what? Finds it. Jesus gave the analogy that there's a hundred sheep. One goes missing and the shepherd goes to look for the one. And he's asked a question to the Pharisees that are standing there. He says, which one of you? He doesn't quote scripture. He uses their own experience. 
to convict them and say, look, you would show more love to a dumb animal. How much more will God show love to a creation he has created? And more than that, said his only son to die for them. And don't miss it, brothers and sisters and visiting friends. There's a key word in there that I don't want you to miss that brings us a powerful concept of who God is. It says, and after which is lost, until he what? Until he what? Finds it. That gives me the idea, I ain't coming back home without my sheep. I ain't coming back without my sheep. I ain't coming back. I ain't going to stop knocking on your door. I ain't going to stop knocking until you open, Jesus says. I ain't going to stop speaking to you until you open your heart. I'm not giving up. Now, I do prison ministries once a month. You do since last year, June. And this analogy came to me on the spot. I'm going to give it to you as well. Not an analogy, but this, this, this question or this you get the point. What would you call somebody, now let's be honest here, who continually puts their hand out to somebody who slaps it away? They put their hand out to be a friend with this person. So person A is putting his hand out all the time to person B. But person B continually slaps the hand out the way he says, get your stinking hand away from me, man. I want your friendship. What would you call person A? Now let's be honest. Young people. Rank? You call him rank? What would you call person B? No, so person A is the one who's trying to, to get the friendship. What would you call person A? Person A is trying to always win this friendship of person B, but person B doesn't want it. What would you call person A? Young people. Let's be real. Come on. Thank you, brother. Stupid. You idiot, man. What's wrong with you? They want your friendship. We keep trying for. Stupid. Idiot. What's God then? What's God? The reason why we call the man stupid and idiot in our hearts because we don't see no evidence of person B changing. That's why. You're wasting your time, person A. Why are you putting out your hand to this person who keeps rejecting you? True love don't give up. That's why it's a mystery. That's why we reject it. Because our carnal hearts would love to have an excuse to leave person B. You don't even get that. You don't even get that. You're half asleep. You don't even get that. Do you know how deep that point was? That almost made me cry. I'm being real now. Some of you don't even recognize when the spirit's moving. If that lit, if you got that point, if you really got that point, we'll call that person stupid. Let's speak properly. We'll call that person stupid and naive. But this is the image of God we see in the Bible. What text of authority do I have? I stand at the door and what? And if any man hear my voice, I open the door, I will do what? So the idea is, Jesus is waiting for who? For you to open the door. Because he, he knows what love can do when you open the door. 
That's why you don't give up. It's not dependent on you changing. It's dependent on him making the changes. And when he has found it, he lays it on his what? Shoulders. And what's that next word? What's that next word? Someone call it out. I want to make sure you're listening. Luke 15. What verse are we at? Verse 5. He lay for it and found it. And when he had found it, he lay for it on his shoulders. What? Rejoicing. Right, the following. Rejoicing. Do you know if that word, that one word wasn't there? That would give the Pharisees license and some of you today license to rebuke and condemn those you don't like. Why do I say that? When he found the sheep, now follow me brothers and sisters and visiting friends. When he found the sheep, he finds it and then what's the, according to the text, what is the thought in the mind of Christ when he finds the sheep? What's the thought? He's happy. Now watch this, you're going to miss this. Watch this. Don't miss this, sorry. Don't miss this. Did he invest time and resources to look for the sheep? Now we don't know how much time and resources is dependent on how long it took him to find the sheep. Do we agree? Yes. How can you be rejoiced when that sheep caused you so much aggro? I had to leave my business behind, 99 sheep, to go and find you. I've butt my toe, I've broken my ankle on the mount, broken my ankle on the mountains. Now I've found you. Come here, man, and drag that sheep home. Some of us wouldn't mind that version of God in the Bible because it would justify how we are to our children in the home. We wouldn't mind that version of God in the Bible because it would justify this fellowship in people without reconciliation first. I said it. If you recorded me, rewind it and watch it again. Our church will never grow until we fully grasp who Jesus really is. And these are just some of the examples that show we are so far away from God. God help us. That's why the community is not attracted to us. Because the first wrong move they make, there is no redemption, no reconciliation, no mercy. And I know what I'm talking about because I've been on the receiving end of those things. But why haven't I left? Why haven't I let discourage me? Why haven't I let it crush me every ray of hope out of me? Why? Because this image of Jesus I'm presenting to you is what brought me back. Amen. When someone loves you like God, you will give every ounce, every dime, every cent, every minute of your day to them. Because it costs so much for them to be your friend. He finds the sheep rejoicing. He is happy to, have, to put out all those resources. He is happy that it cost him even his life to look for you. He is happy because he knows, now I've found you. Now I've got you. So I don't care how much it costs me. I don't care how much it bruises me. I don't care the money I've wasted because it's not a waste because you're worth it. This is the image of God that helps you answer the question, Honestly, who am I? And if the answer is, I'm a wretch. If the answer is, I'm a sinner. If the answer is, I am this tiny, helpless little sheep. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Amen. That's not bad news. Who am I? Man, I'm coming. Man, I'm sleeping around. I made some mistakes. I'm going to hide in the church. Rubbish. Don't hide before God, because God can see your heart anyway. 
don't live your life being subject to what people think in this building and in the other center of this church. Live your life with the image of who God is. I'm going to make an appeal. Like I said, I don't want this to be long. 32 minutes. I'm going to make an appeal. I'm going to read for you a very powerful quote that I love from the book Ministry of Healing. And it gives a very, very powerful description of God's grace. Ministry of Healing, page 161. When you know that there's no condemnation, you can answer the question. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no fear. Because all of that fear is not coming from God. All of that shame is not coming from God. All that accusation that's keeping you separate from Christ is not coming from God. Because the word of God we've just read doesn't describe God like that. So like Mark said, it comes down to a choice. Because now you've heard. Now you've heard. You can't now say, oh, but I think God is this way. No, but his word said he's not. So now it's down to your choice. Yes, sincerely we can be deceived. Sincerely we deceived ourselves. Man, I think I'm, man, yeah, man, I think I've got everything straight. I know how that feels. I grew up in the church. I know how it feels. I've been there thinking you're on the right track. But in reality, when temptation came, oh my days. It wasn't the fact that I felt that temptation. It was the fact that I loved it before it even came. Young people, you know what I'm talking about. We're sitting here with love for things in the world. They haven't even come yet to our door, but we love them anyway. We're waiting for it to knock on our door. Some of you young ladies are waiting for the man to say the right thing so you can take your clothes off. You're waiting for the opportunity. You're that blind. Because the music and the things and your friends are telling you this is the best thing since sliced bread, yeah? Yeah? Are you blind to the consequences in society? Ask any single mother today who doesn't regret that that man promised on the world and left her a child. And young men, filling your head with foolishness, training your mind to dis disrespect the future mothers of Israel. And the hypocrisy. When you read Matthew 7, the whole chapter, that's what he's talking about, really. Hypocrisy. We read in context, Jesus was trying to get through to the people, be real, because then I can help you. Be real, because then I can help you. Be real. Young men, the most hypocritical thing is to listen to a genre of music. I'm not talking about beats, I'm talking about content. A genre of music that says B-I-T-C-H, disrespects black women, but then if I say, what if uh, your best friend was to do that with, uh, with your sister that, you're, that the song you're describing, how would you feel? Every man says, oh, man, I feel vexed. So why put that in your head? Imagine that's your mum in the video that you're watching. That woman twerking, visualize your mum. That feeling you just got, bingo. There you go. There you go, visualize your mum. Unless our perspective changes, we will never change. I know we smile because of embarrassment. That's the only kind of thing we're gonna do. We're gonna have, but I'm trying to help young people. I'm only saying that where I've come from. I'm only saying those things that has convinced me. I'm only trying to inspire you. I raise my voice because there's a passion in my heart. I speak with passion because this thing is real. It's 
It's no joke. When you have a young man coming to you in prison, would you say that's the hardest place to preach? Would you say that's the worst section of society? Yeah. Logic would tell you that, right? They're the worst of the worst. Society would tell you that. Not going to even God's word. Society will tell you. That's why they put him in jail, right? When you have a young man coming to you, I only have 10 minutes. No, 5 to 10 minutes to speak. How long do I have? Only 5 to 10 minutes. When you have, and these are, this is multiple testimonies I can tell you, but I'm only going to give you one. Young man coming to you, and on that day I was feeling a bit down, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be transparent. I was feeling a bit down, a bit discouraged, but I went to be faithful to my duty anyway. I prayed, I said, God, use me, you know, man, this week. I really had a good week today, but Lord, do what you do best. At the end when I spoke, young man came to me. And I say this for a reason. He was a white guy. Most of the people in there are white people. I say that for a reason. Because I'm not used to speaking to the gospel to white folk since moving up here. And London, where I grew up, mostly black folk. So it took away a lot of preconceived prejudices and ideas that I didn't even know I realized I had in my head. He came up to me and said, my name is Torture. I said, yeah, okay, what is it? He said, I've been addicted to drugs since I was the age of 14. Well, I was addicted to drugs since I was 14. Heroin, cocaine, alcohol. I did the drug rehabilitation, never worked. Family tried to convince me to, to give it up, it never worked. Michael, nothing has worked until you and your teams come up to preach the word. He said, there's something I observe you do every single time you preach. You kneel down and pray. And then he said to himself, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing. He went back to his son, prayed to Jesus to give him victory over his addictions. He said, Michael, I've been clean for months and it's all thanks to you. Don't tell me when you hear things like that, that doesn't embolden you in the truth that you hold. towards human beings we did not seek for it please 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 listen to these words grace is an attribute 
attributes of God exercised towards undeserving human beings. We did not seek for it, but it was sent in search of us. God rejoices to bestow his grace upon us. Not because we are worthy, but because we are so utterly unworthy. Our only claim to his mercy is our great need. The Lord God through Jesus Christ holds out his hand all the day long in invitation to the sinful and the fallen. Who am I? Who am I? If you want to convince yourself you're something that you're not, that's not my business. But if these words have pierced your heart and put you in front of the mirror so that you can look and see the deformities, see the struggles, don't lie to yourself. But now it's not God telling, you know what, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> oh, man. Lord God through Jesus Christ holds out his hand all the day long in invitation to the sinful and the fallen not the people who say they're perfect he will receive all what did I say church all he welcomes all what did I say church all it is his glory to pardon the chief of sinners. He will take the prey from the mighty. He will deliver the captive, meaning the prisoner. He will pluck the brand, and like a burning piece of wood, he will pluck the brand from the burning. He will lower the golden chain of mercy to the lowest depths of human wretchedness and lift up the debased soul contaminated with sin. Every human being is the object of loving interest to him who gave his life that he might bring men back to God. Souls guilty and helpless, liable to be destroyed by the arts and snares of Satan are cared for as a shepherd cares for the sheep of his flock. I preach hoping that everybody is spoken to. But because our emphasis today is the young people, my appeal is to the young first. And those of you who consider yourself young, whatever that may be, my appeal is to you. If this has reached, touched your heart, convicted you, persuaded you that you have a need that who you say you are I say I'm a Christian but or maybe you've come to that realisation already that you're not truly on his side but that's not bad news because the gospel is about good news there's things in your life there's sins in your life right now that you haven't confessed to Christ 
God is looking for people today, young people especially today. Our church is hemorrhaging. I don't know when it's going to get better. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder what keeps me motivated. And it always comes back to these things here. The love of God. I can't move. I just can't. I've tried. I've tried. Can I give a very quick, short testimony? You sure? You're not going to bring up in the board, are you? I hope there's no deep sea divers here. If you get the analogy. Just before I got married, I was speaking to Janine on the phone. And I was going through some things where I was going through some struggles. And those struggles I allowed to bring me to a place of complete despair. And for the first time in my Christian world, at that time, I said to Janine on the phone, Janine, I'm leaving. I've never said those words. Words have power, young people. You may think it, of course I thought it, but I would always dismiss it as a suggestion from Satan. No, 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 that's the devil, man. Put us things in my mind. Always resist it. Now I've come to the place to give it life. Now I came to the place to bring those words into existence. I said to her on the phone, I am leaving. Some of you may not get this, but I know this is going to be for somebody. That's why I'm sharing. As soon as those words came out of my mouth, tears started rolling down my face. Because for the first time, weirdly enough, and even as I tried to convey what was going on at the time, as difficult as it is, weirdly enough, for the first time, I now felt like I had a real choice. Because now it wasn't about church. It wasn't about the Sabbath. It wasn't about any of these doctrines. It was now about, do you want to stay, Mike, of your own volition? Do you want to stay? And I said, no. But then as soon as I said it, the thought came rushing to my mind. That's why I know God exists. Because what was I thinking? I was thinking to leave. So the next thought that came to my mind to convince me to stay couldn't have originated with me. Does that make sense? Couldn't have originated with me. And it did not originate with me because I was fighting to go. I wanted to leave. Pride told me go. It is pride to leave God. It is pride. Call it as it is. But at the same time, I was deluded. God's not going to accept me back. People start hearing what I've been up to all my days when you talk of the town. And as I was sitting down on the sofa, tears running down my, my, my face. This was the thought that made me stay. And it wasn't verbal, it wasn't some miraculous, supernatural experience. It was a powerful thought that said this. Michael, what have I done to you? What have I done to you? What did I do to you? What did I do to you? Jesus spoke to Michael. What have I done to you for you to leave me? Leave my cause. Leave what's dear to my heart. It's dead to my heart to save sinners. Now you don't want to save sinners no more. It's dead to my heart to do Bible study. Now you don't care what matters to me now, Mike. That's what brought tears to my eyes. Because it showed how far I was gone. But at the same time, it showed me how much God loved me. And that he wasn't thinking what I was thinking he was thinking. He wasn't, I was, I was thinking a lie. And for the first time that I can remember, I recommitted again on that sofa and I said, God in heaven, by your grace, please. I never want to come to that place again. Or thinking 
that you will lead me. That no matter how deep in sin I am, you will not take me back and clear me from all of my sins. You will not enable me to give you victory. Lord, please help me not believe those lies again. That somehow you condemn me. That somehow you've left my side. Because the Bible says Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If this is spoken to your heart, I invite you to the front. I invite you to the front to make your stand. Make your stand for the one that I've described. Don't bother if none of you moved. I've been preaching since I was 18. And I've made lots of appeals when no one stood up. It's not my business. But I'm going to invite you to the front. So don't come because you're trying to, oh, I don't make my feel bad. No, no, no. Come because you really and truly want to give unreservedly your life to the one that I've described from the word of God. I give you that opportunity. I give you that opportunity. Jesus and his word is all that I want. What Jesus has done for me. Mike, I heard Luke 15. I heard that description and that touched me. That moved me. And that's power. Choice, the will. That's power. Seeing the truth. Asking the question, it don't look good that question, that answer, who am I? It don't look good, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. That takes boldness. That takes courage. But who Jesus is should give you that courage to come to the front. As the Spirit speaks to your heart, young people, make that choice. Make that choice. As the Spirit speaks to your heart, make that choice. Make that choice. And for those of you who have made a decision for Christ a long time ago, and you make that decision for Christ every single day, you know who you are. You're good, Seventh-day Adventist. If there's something else that has spoken to your heart today, I don't even know how to make that appeal. I don't know what specific it is. I'm inviting you, you adults, to come to the front. There's something else that you know you need to respond to, invite you to stand in your seat don't just all stand specific appeal specific stand because he's referring to you invite you to stand where you are something has spoken to you specifically from God's word and you know what that is I'm not going so I love about God I don't need to know no one's business you and God alone relationship revelation truth you and him alone you know what that is and my reference to that analogy of no deep sea diamonds is a text in Michael which says I cast your sins to the depths of the sea there are parts of the sea that's never been found by man it can never be found it's too deep gives the idea of how good of a job God does when he deals with our mess
who am I? My identity can now be in Christ Jesus, one that says, I love him. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you blow my mind. Your word is alive. It is quick. It is powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder soul and spirit. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. You reveal unto us the things in our hearts that no one else sees. Not to embarrass, not to shame, but to help us feel our need of grace. This powerful power called grace. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking to our hearts. If there are any visitors here hearing my prayer, I pray that they will also make a decision to want to get to know Jesus, to want to get to know the one whom I've described from your word. Not the one that they've heard or they think they know, but the one that we've read about in your word. The one who searches for sinners until he finds them. And when he finds them, he's not vexed and angry, but he's rejoicing. And he's joined heaven over one sinner who repents. We just want to thank you for speaking to our hearts. And showing us the true revelation of who we truly are. But you don't leave us in that state. You don't leave us crying. You have comfort. You don't leave us hopeless. You give hope. You don't leave us feeling regretful. You give us peace. So Father in heaven, exchange with us, with us, exchange with us, sorry, exchange with us all of those gifts that are in Jesus Christ. As we give you our sins, give us your righteousness. As we, give us, as we give you our weakness, give us your strength. As we give us our lack of wisdom, give us your wisdom. As we give us our faulty promises, give us your never failing promise. And we just want to say thank you. And help us to take these baby steps one day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. Faith, not feeling faith not fear. Thank you Father for hearing our prayer. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for those who felt the need to come to the front and for those who stood in their seats. Answer their prayer and give them the faith that you have answered according to your will. According to your will we ask all of these things that the church say Amen.